As I stood watching after her, I saw running round the corner like Usain Bolt, my yellow lab with a lady shoe in his mouth. Oh no, being chased by a girl, ah! being chased by a girl shouting, stop him, stop him. <laughs> Before we dive in, a warning. The content of this podcast may not be appropriate for some young listeners. This is real life and that means that sometimes it can be a little bit graphic. So listen on at your own peril. As a veterinarian, dog behaviorist, best-selling author, and trainer, over the past decade, I've had an obsession with transforming the behavior of dogs, understanding their brains, and creating practical strategies that you can implement easily at home. I know all too well when the dream you imagined when you first got your dog is far from your daily reality. In fact, out of the blue, a few months ago, my little dog Gorse was bitten by a dog 20 times her size. And suddenly our life of stress-free walks, a calm and cuddly household and being teammates was replaced with reactivity, anxiety and worrying about what's around the next corner. I'm Dr. Tom, this is the Help My Dog podcast and this is me documenting that journey of transformation, sharing my knowledge and experience with you and having a few laughs along the way. Hello and welcome to the Help My Dog podcast. This week, we are going to be taking a bit of a, I guess, a detour. Like normally we talk about uh, stressful walks or reactivity or dogs that struggle with other dogs, right? And we're, we're relating that to, um, to little Gorse who's starting her, you know, behavior transformation. But I guess what we've realized is that this podcast could actually help even more people by covering all of dog behavior, right? Even more people by, by, by covering all kinds of behavior struggles. And it's kind of inspired by all, you, all of you listeners who actually you, you're emailing in and you're suggesting things that you'd love to be covered. And one of those things that you'd love to be covered is actually dogs that struggle with being left home alone, dogs that struggle with being separated, dogs who struggle with um, you leaving the house, right? And so what we're going to do is we are dedicating this episode to what would be my top three tips on, I guess, what to consider, how to help your dog, how to support your dog. And of course, this could probably be a whole like podcast series in itself. Maybe eventually it will be. Right now, we're going to cover three tips, okay? So, so you're going to get some insights. You're going to get some light bulbs, I hope. You're certainly going to get some actionable stuff that you can implement. And of course, there will be more of your cringe stories as we, um, as we progress as well, because it turns out they're a big hit. To the point where they're such a big hit that actually we... We've not talked about this on the podcast, but we were number one in like 11 plus different countries in the pets category, which is just insane. Really, really cool, guys. Um, and it's all thanks to you, you know, spreading the word, sharing it with friends. And the more that this information can get out there, the more people find the real like transformational information right from the word go. And I bet, you know, many of you, you because we all were, we're all there, let's be honest, where you maybe took a very kind of winding journey between various professionals, various methods, you know, various techniques and bits of advice before you happened on, upon something that actually works and moves you forward. And not only works and moves you forward, but also aligns with your values as a dog owner that you don't want to deprive your dog, you don't want to intimidate your dog, you don't want to, you know, use any, you know, 
pain-inflicting tool on your dog. Um, instead, what you want to do is inspire great behavior. You realize that you know the reason why your dogs are behaving the way they're behaving is because they're finding themselves in situations that they don't have the skills for. And it's our job as owners to give them those skills, to teach them those skills, so that actually then they go through life and they're thriving rather than surviving, right? Awesome. So let's talk separation anxiety today. Now, separation struggles, I'm going to refer to it as. I said separation anxiety because that's kind of the words that everybody knows, but I prefer to think about it as separation struggles. The reason being that actually separation anxiety can be caused by a variety of different reasons. And when we think about, you know, a dog finding themselves in a situation where they don't have the skills to deal with that situation, there could be lots of different skills or lack of skills that are causing your dog's separation struggles right now and separation struggles might look like barking while you know they're left home alone might look like destroying things scratching at doors and um, maybe they, they they toilet in the house maybe they're just really really stressed and you know you come back and they're panting and their pupils are dilated and they're hiding and they found that a really traumatic experience and so I guess the first takeaway or the first light bulb is that the picture can look the same but actually the skills that you need to grow to change that picture can be different from dog to dog, yeah? And in the behavior clinic, in the Behavet Behavior Clinic, we see 400 plus behavior cases every single month and many of those will be separation struggles. And all of those would have tried the usual advice that you've probably been told, you've probably, you know, you've probably done it yourself of you've got to leave them for increments of time. Yeah, anybody been, been given this advice for a dog with separation anxiety? Leave them for increments of time. You try leaving them for a second. You try leaving them for 10 seconds. You try leaving them for 15 seconds, but actually they react immediately and consistently regardless of how often you do that, right? And so we've established that that doesn't work, but what do we do instead? Like what are the options? And I think it comes back to that idea that the reason why your dog is behaving that way is because they don't have the skills to deal with that situation. So even if the situation is just for a second, it's still the situation that they find themselves in, right? And so what, would, what, what are the skills that commonly will result in a dog having separation struggles? Well, I think the first one is dogs need to have a consistent and repeatable level of calmness and being cool about being calm and when you're at home in order to be calm when you're not in the house right and so this sounds really obvious but like think about it you know you've got a dog who is you know um attention attention seeking action prompting reacting out of the window um finds it really difficult to settle finds it really difficult to sleep when you're at home Actually, when you leave the house, that lack of calmness is probably still going to be the same struggle, right? And so is it really about the separation or is it actually that their, their arousal level with which they go through life is just not consistent with good behavior generally, let alone, um, you know, when you leave the house? And so the first thing that we'll think about when we're working with a behavior case is actually how is this dog's behavior generally? Yeah, is the separation 
struggle a symptom or a cause, right? Is it that this dog is going through life just being generally reactive and then they're applying that reactivity to being left home alone? Or is it that they, spe they're specifically, they specifically struggle with the, the concept of, um, of being left home alone? And I should say that actually it's tough for a dog to be left home alone, right? We, they, they, they have no idea why they're being abandoned, right? There, there are social species where actually a lot of their behavior and choices and values are all about keeping the family group together. So it kind of makes no sense to put a barrier between you and your dog and, you know, you get in a car and drive away and they see you drive away. And, you know, that that is not, you know, evolutionarily compatible. And so when we think about the level of calmness that they need, you, this training might actually start with you at home, okay? Now, what can you do to start to inspire some level of calmness in your dog with you at home? If, if you've identified that this is the area, the stage that you're at, the area, the, the point that you're at. Well, I think the first thing is thinking about your dog's calmness will, or lack of calmness will be a result of what they're doing every day, okay? So if, you, you know, if, you, if you're training for the Olympics, you're not sat on the sofa eating crisps, yeah? If you're training for the Olympics, you're looking to trigger a, a level of energy in you that, that is going to result in you winning the Olympics, right? And so that means that you have to get yourself into an energized state every day and you have to work out and you have to practice whatever, whatever um, sport it is that, that you're practicing. And it's exactly the same for our dogs in that we can inadvertently make them, you know, athletes for a sport that we don't want them to be in. <laughs> so we can inadvertently be training their energy levels. You know, we, we, you're told, you've, probably, you've probably been told to exercise them more, take them, walk them more, walk them more. And what that does is um, one makes their body and their brain adapt to bringing more energy into each day because there's increased demand on their body and their brain. And the second thing that it does is exposes them to this world that can be really exciting and really scary. And therefore, they're in a state of, you know, excitement, fear, high arousal as a result of being exposed. So instead, what, what we want you to think about is what would be a lifestyle that would move your dog in a better direction? Maybe it's playing some calmness games on a morning. Maybe it is just spending some time chilling on a bed at your side. If that's not possible for your dog right now, you might even consider popping your dog on lead and just having them on, you know, on their bed at your side. Well, I don't know, you work if you work from home. Um, and maybe you keep some of their daily food allowance to one side and you just drop bits of food on their bed while they're on lead to teach them that actually that's a great place to be. And of course, if they're there, they're more likely to be calm, yeah? That's the kind of um, training that is gonna move them in that direction. Whereas I think often what we do as dog owners is we, we inadvertently train an athlete and then we're surprised when we're battling that athlete every day. <laughs> um, so getting their lifestyle um, right. Then what we need to think about is actually, the second skill that, that 
can often drive dogs struggling with separation is that your dog struggles to disengage from you, okay? They struggle to disengage from your movements, they struggle to disengage from your presence, and, you know, as an example, how many of you have a dog where you stand up, you walk across the room and they follow you, yeah? Or you move from room to room and they follow you. Or you try and, you know, close them in a room and actually, and close the door and so that you can go do things and actually they're like, I can't disengage from you and I'm trying to get through the door or I'm barking or I'm frustrated, yeah? And so that, that lack of ability to disengage from you is exactly the skill that is driving the, them not able to disengage from you when you do leave the house. And so separation training starts at home right? It doesn't start with the increments of you going through the front door for a second, five seconds, a minute and building up because the skill isn't there. We've got to teach the skill out of the situation that they're struggling. So how do we do that? Well, imagine that you've, you've, you've ticked off the first box. You've got a calm dog. You've got a dog that's lying at your side. They're on lead at the moment, and, uh, but they're on a bed, yeah? Now, can that bed maybe be further away from you? And can they stay on that bed? And you reward them and feed them for being on that bed, but you're maybe able to stand up, sit down, walk across the room, and they choose to stay on that bed rather than follow you, yeah? You might have to feed them, support them, give them food as you're doing that, but what that is instilling, what that is growing, is your dog is making a choice there. I'm choosing to engage with the bed rather than engage with my owner, and therefore I'm disengaging from my owner that crucial bit of learning that your dog needs to be able to, to be cool about being left home, home alone. Then what you can start to do is grow that out. So for example, you might start to incorporate putting a barrier between you and your dog. That might look like them spending time in a crate, them spending time in a puppy pen. You're gonna have to get them used to that, but actually they, you know, if you're present and you're right next to them when they're learning that experience, they're much more likely to be cool with it. And then what you can start to do is build that out so that the crate or the puppy pen is in a different room. And you're going about your business, but they don't have access to you. And what that teaches them is the most important skill that, that, that we can teach any dog. It's you know, a skill that everybody that has a, an online behavior consultation with the BehaveVet team, it, we want to make sure that they've got this skill. Okay, and it's especially important for dogs with separation struggles, dogs that struggle with visitors coming to the house, um, dogs that struggle to switch off and settle. And that is that just because you are present in the house doesn't mean that your dog has access to you. Yeah, and it's not you that needs to learn that, it's your dog. Because right now, you know, you've probably had a lifetime with your dog where when you're in the house, they have access to you, they can come up to you, they can, you know, give you a lick, they can, you know, sit next to you, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, and as soon as you're present in the house and they don't have access to you, they go, well, that's not in my rule book, right? That's not something that, that I'm cool with, that's not how the world works. And so then we leave the house and they go, well, now absence is really bad because now I don't have access to this person anymore. As soon as we make it that our dogs can be, you know, in a crate or a puppy pen and we can move around the house and go about our day and our dogs learn that they don't have access to us, it's so much easier to be able to leave that house and teach them about leaving the house, right? So we've already got two skills, two layers that often are lacking in dogs with separation struggles. The first is calmness and we can start to grow that at home. 
The second is disengagement, that ability to see that there's value in disengaging from you. And there's a third one that would be my, my third tip for, um, for, for working with dogs with separation struggles, but I'm gonna share that after doing the cringe stories. <laughs> So uh, let's have a little look at, I've got them here. They've been sent by uh, Madeline, master of the, the, your cringe stories. And you've been sending them in like crazy guys. Like that's becoming like a full-time job to go through them. Uh, and if you've got one, then um, email cringe at, what is it? Cringe at helpmydog.com. Okay, that's cringe, C-R-I-N-G-E at helpmydog.com. Dot com, okay? Also cringe at helpmydog.dog is fine. Okay, also cringe at helpmydog.dog, D-O-G, is also fine. You can use either, apparently. Um, so keep sending them in because they're, they're hilarious and like, we, yeah, I don't love reading them, but Madeline loves reading them. So um, let's have a little look at these ones. I've not read these, as you know. So here we go. My previous dog, Sutty, a Labrador Cocker Spaniel cross, was pretty good off lead, but in certain situations benefited from some lead support. One day we were returning from a woodland walk approaching our village green on a beautiful summer's day. Sounds perfect. What's cringe about this? I scanned the, the green for picnics as I often did, as this was usually a temptation too much for Sooty. Great news, the coast was clear with no rucksacks to rummage. I did notice a woman sitting on a bench, but quite a long way in the distance. Here we go. Sooty trotted beside me, but he had a particular skill for increasing the distance between us slowly, that by the time I realized I couldn't grab him, he would be gone. Does anybody have a dog like that? Little did I know that Sooty was planning a siege. He was off with me desperately trying to recall in full pursuit sprint. By the time I reached the lady's bench, Sooty had snaffled her Marks and Spencer prawn and mayo sandwich with glee, which had been on the bench beside the woman. Oh my word. Sooty then behaved impeccably, sitting at heel while the woman tore into me, expressing how badly behaved my dog was. She was clearly hungry, hangry, hangry lady. I had no control. It was an expensive sandwich she'd been looking forward to and to make things worse. By the way, I'm a dog trainer and that dog should be on a lead if you can't control it, which you quite clearly cannot. Oh. I mean, it's not a very dog trainer thing to do, is it? Sit on a park bench without a dog and eat a, a, an expensive sandwich. I don't know, maybe... She's just having a day off. She's, she's having a day off. Would you, you have a day off as a dog trainer? Uh, Sooty um, licked his lips. I apologised profusely, offered to pay for the sandwich, offered to make her a sandwich as I only lived opposite, apologised again, shamed. <laughs> Sooty had the, the stomach of a lab, the speed of a cocker, and the nose of both. The sandwich never stood a chance. I now have an English Springer Spaniel. My life is one embarrassing event after another. <laughs> I also have a half Siamese cat which regularly visits the green, charms the picnickers before launching himself into their cool boxes, making off with their cocktail sausages. I expect I need therapy. Well, Hopefully that was some form of therapy for you. Awesome, right, another one. Uh, my cringy story. Unbeknownst to me, 
One day, my front door had blown open and my cockapoo had seized the opportunity to take her lab brother down the road to meet her dog groomer. Oh, sounds like, what's that film called? Homeward Bound, you know, um, with the dogs no, and the cat. Oh no, oh, it's so lovely. Oh no, it's really nice. The next door, the next door neighbor alerted me saying that he had seen my, my dogs running up the road. Of course, I went into panic mode as I was not sure how long they had been out. As I was running down the driveway, feeling a bit sick, I met my little cockapoo who was merrily running back down the road towards me. She bypassed me and went straight in the house. This all sounds very sensible. Yeah. As I stood watching after her, I saw running round the corner like Usain Bolt, my yellow lab with a lady's shoe in his mouth. Oh no! Being chased by a girl! Ah! Being chased by a girl shouting, Stop him! Stop him! He is. <laughs> Hold on! I've got to. Wait. And being chased by a girl shouting, Stop him! Stop him! He has pinched my Nan's shoe! <laughs> 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 on, on the way to meet the groomer, my lab had got distracted by an open front door, decided to investigate and helped himself to treasure, which he duly presented to me at the bottom of my driveway. I wanted the ground to open up and swallow me at this point, as the whole neighbourhood had heard the shouting and were out watching at this point. <laughs> I love it. I, uh, this reminds me of, I used to do um, uh, behavior research where, um, uh, you, you, you know, you'd, you'd call someone up to get them to do a, a, a questionnaire, a survey about their dog. And, um, and the, the, funny, um, the funny thing is, is that I, um, I had like 95% success rate. Like whoever I called, they wanted to do the research, they wanted to do the survey. Um, and it's because I had a little like, tactic that I used to do, which is actually, in hindsight, is actually quite naughty. Um, I think I was about, I must have been about 21 at the time, 22. And, um, and what I used to do is I used to, they used to pick up the phone and I'd go, hello, is that Sooty's owner? And, <laughs> and the owners would go, oh my God, has he got out of the house again? And I'd be like, no, 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 I'm just calling to, to ask a few questions about his behavior. And they go, oh, phew, yeah, what, what are the questions? And then we do the questionnaire, it worked really well. This reminded me from that story. Right, one more. Um, so we got our first dog, Scar, a lovely male Parson Russell Terrier from the local animal shelter. It was in the 90s, and at the time, the animal shelter would only allow you to rehome a dog you agreed to neuter if you agreed to neuter them within a month. Um, yes, those were different times. So um, we had our scar neutered. After about a week, we, we returned to the vet to have the stitches removed. Scar didn't mind. He was okay with the vet, who, also, who was also the vet of the animal shelter. Scar was wandering around in the consulting room while the vet praised us for being a great pack where um, Scar obviously thrived. We were beaming with pride. Until. <laughs> Until. Until. Suddenly, Scar barked once and all three of us stopped talking and looked at him. He was standing next to the open bottom drawer of the filing cabinet, a drawer packed with paper files of customers, no computers back then. 
When he was sure he had our attention, he oh no! Um, he lifted one of his hind legs, aimed with precision, and took a really long pee right into the drawer, all over the files. The room went very silent. We looked at him peeing. It seemed like an eternity, and I wished the earth would open up and swallow us. When he was ready, he gave himself a good shake and sat down. I could swear he grinned. Then the vet started laughing, loud and long. Only Scar, he said, you have got your revenge on me for removing your crown jewels. I mean, that is fair, isn't it? Um, and he gave Scar a nice treat. Needless to say, we were very relieved. Scar lived to be 19 and we now have our third dog, but this story will never be forgotten. Oh, now it will never be forgotten because Scar is going to be remembered on the podcast forever. Oh, that is a nice one. I like that one. That is incredibly cringy, but also... It's, he was just getting his revenge, wasn't he? It was like, it was worth it. I bet Scar's like, embarrassed, but worth it. Right, so let's think back to what we're talking about. Separation. So um, separation, we've talked about the two of the three skills that I wanted to share with you today. So you need a calm dog. Then you need to teach that dog the skill of disengagement that actually when things leave you, or you leave them, that is a good experience, right? It's not a loss, it's a cool thing, right? It's, it, it's something to feel great about. In fact, you should actually want to do it and instigate it. And when you start the disengagement training, you know, starting it on the bed and they're on the bed and you're moving around and you're feeding them for being on their bed and they're learning to disengage from your movement, then maybe you do a crate or a puppy pen or a baby gate, there's loads of options. Um, if, for example, your dog doesn't like crates, you know, there's, there's lots of options to work on this. You'll start to see something. And that is you'll start to see your dog will actively want to disengage from you and actively start to take themselves away and start to put themselves behind barriers and put themselves into things. And for me, that, that shows a really important lesson. And that is that sometimes our dogs are hanging out with us, not because that's in their best interests. It might actually be in their best interest to decompress, but they don't have the skills to leave us to go and decompress, right? And so a lot of dogs, they never get that decompression, that option to, that, that moment of just like taking a sigh, having a breather, having a true rest, because they're, they're unable to leave us. It's not because they want to stay with us forever. It might actually be because they don't have the skills to leave us of their own accord, right? And that is, I hope is a light bulb for a lot of you that, you know, that is a valuable skill to give your dog. Now, the third skill that I think every dog with separation struggles would really benefit from is being more optimistic. So if you think about, think about a dog as a species, right? You know, they are, um, they're, they're family living, they have been domesticated, so they are meant to be, you know, with us, alongside us, in our homes, and actively going through life together. And then we do this really weird thing where we leave them, and they have to figure out, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Now, the interesting thing is, is that that kind of goes against their whole, that, their whole history, right? They, not only are they a family living species, but also they are domesticated and designed to follow us through life, right? And then we're, then we're like, yeah, brilliant, cool. And I'm now closing this door between us and I'm now walking away. If you think about it, there's no more ambiguous situation than that. And I, I've got a, um, 
I've got a funny story that, that is the equivalent of an ambiguous situation. I, I once had a massage, right? And um, <laughs> so awkward. And it's not, it's, and massage is awkward anyway. I've never had one since. Um, and um, and the, the lady said to me, you know, I'll just pop around the corner. And I can't believe I'm sharing this with you all. I'll, I'll just pop around the corner and... Um, and you can, you know, get undressed and then just like get under the blanket and then I'll, you know, give me a shout when, when you're ready. And I was like, I was like, so what, you know, what, what do you want? <laughs> me, me being very like, let's find out exactly what she means. What do you want me to, you know, take off? <laughs> and, um, and she replied with the most ambiguous answer. It's almost like she knew. She said, whatever you feel comfortable with. So like, there were like variations of me being like fully clothed, totally naked, everything in between. And, and she's like, it was taking so long that she was like from the other room being like, are, are you ready? And I'm like, no. <laughs> so yeah, that, you know, if you think about that, it's like, that was a test of my optimism. I'm like, right, what does she mean? That is an ambiguous situation. And exactly the same with your dog right? You leave through that door and they're like, well, this is strange. This is new. This, I don't know what, which way this is going to go. Is, is it going to be a positive outcome? Is it going to be a negative outcome? And it's their inherent optimism or pessimism that is going to determine in that moment if they are cool, calm and collected or if they start getting anxious about that. Now, when I say inherent optimism and pessimism, that is the skill with which they go through life deciding what these events mean. And so you don't just need to teach your dog to be cool about being separated in the situation, leaving, coming back, leaving, coming back. Actually, the more optimistic you make your dog in life in general, the easier they will find that experience and the more likely they are to lean towards the optimistic end of that experience and say, I think it's nothing to worry about, right? How do we do that? Well, first thing that you can do is literally take some of your dog's daily food allowance to one side. Rather than think of this as food, think of it as positive outcomes that we get to give our dogs for doing things or experiencing things. As new or strange situations happen, just second by second, minute by minute, someone walks into the room, there's a noise outside, and I don't know, you, you drop a pen, you can just deliver some of their daily food allowance because these little events are happening all the time. And the more that you do that, the more their brain will actually start to assume things are good, assume things are positive, assume that they, you know, that optimism is the way to go. So that when the tough stuff happens, actually they're more likely to lean towards the, t the, the, the it, it being something great, right? Optimism. Um, second thing that you can do is let's get rid of the bad experiences in your dog's life. So for example, if every time you go on this certain walk, another dog runs up to your dog and tramples them and you find it a really frustrating experience. And then, you know, we go home and we get on social media and we say, can't believe it's just happened again. That, that, that you know, irresponsible persons let their dog run up to mine. 
maybe we just walk in a different place. Yeah, <laughs> maybe we actually think, well, we could go here, here, and here, and yeah, I'd love to walk there, but actually there's this person who I can't control their behavior, and I can't control their dog's behavior, and so let's get rid of that for the time being, and let's move somewhere else, because by move somewhere else, I don't mean move house, I mean go on a different walk, yeah, do a different route, go at a different time of day, yeah, things like that. And in doing that, it, it can be things like that that can, you know, day by day, week by week, can keep pushing your dog down the pessimism track. And we remove them and we work on building optimism with what I've just talked about and you will see things move in a different direction. Now, there are loads of other strategies for optimism and those of you that, you know, those of you who have been following Help My Dog for a while, maybe you're in the Help My Dog online hub, you'll be familiar with the games and strategies that we've got that you can, you know, play for a couple of minutes or implement this particular setup in your house and it really moves your dog to be more optimistic and you know, helps with their separation and their unpredictability of other dogs and all kinds of other stuff. But if we just take those two concepts for the time being of let's increase the positive outcomes in my dog's life and decrease the worrying events in my dog's life, you'll see the balance shift. And if you combine those with growing your dog's ability to disengage, and growing your dog's calmness, that ultimately is the foundation with which you then work on all of the other separation stuff. So I guess the big takeaway I want you to take from this episode is actually maybe separation training is, is not so much about separation. Maybe it's actually about skilling your dog up with these skills and some others to be able to just think that is just a test of my skills and I've got my, I'm skilled enough to, to not have to worry about it. And how much more enjoyable is that? You're, you're not having the stress of, you know, leaving the house knowing that your dog's um, really worried. You're not having the, the stress of doing training that actually is really unsuccessful or stressful for your dog or stressful for you. It's fun and it is effective. So guys, that's, I guess, if I had to pick just three things to talk about with regard to separation, those would be it. There'll be more separation struggle podcast episodes in the future. So make sure to subscribe or follow the podcast. Make sure to leave a review because by leaving a review, that gives context to others when they're looking for dog training advice. In fact, I had um, a message just the other day to my, um, my personal Facebook account where somebody literally said, I think they're in the US somewhere, and they were like, I was looking for a dog trainer. Um, I was looking for dog training advice. Um, I went onto um, Apple Podcasts. I saw you were the number one podcast, and I listened and read the reviews, and I'm so excited to start this journey and help my dog with their reactivity, right? And that person was literally on you know, Google, Apple Podcasts or whatever, being like dog trainer. And we all know when we type dog trainer, what do we get? We get a lot of things. And they're not necessarily, you know, they're the, the number one hits that might come up might not be reward-based, might not be ethical. Most importantly, might not be effective and, you know, real-life results-driven. And so when you subscribe, when you listen to this podcast, when you leave a review, you help another person or another hundred people or another thousand people, right? Uh, you know, each episode gets listened to thousands of times, and that means that then we're helping more and more people. And yeah, we're headed, you know, they're going in the right direction as a result of listening. 
but think about all the other directions that they could be going if they weren't going in this one, yeah? Aside from this podcast helping people, it also de kind of diverts them away from, you know, that, that up and down journey that we've all experienced in, you know, finding help and finding a professional and imagine if they can get to the good stuff right away. So with that, guys, that was this episode of the Help My Dog podcast. If you've got a cringe story, you know the email address and we will see you next time. <laughs>